welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. We have been in a sermon series called The Wild Goose, which, you know, might sound kind of funny if you haven't been here in a couple of weeks. You're like, why are we talking about geese? What's the deal with that? Um, well, at Vineyard Cleveland, we believe in the God of the Bible, and the Bible describes God in some tricky ways. For example, the Bible says that there's only one God, right? And he will not let him give his glory to anyone or anything else. He's like, I am God, there is no other. But then in the Bible, the God, the God also describes himself as three distinct persons. There's God the Father, there's Jesus who is God the Son, and then there's God the Holy Spirit. He's one, but that one is really three. He's three, but that three is really one. And if that hurts your brain and doesn't make any sense, then that's great, right? Because God should be so much more complex than we are that it should take a little bit of like a, wait, I don't understand, huh? Because if, because if we could understand everything about God, then he's not really God, right? It's something that we probably made up, um, and so the way that God tries to explain himself to us is often through the use of metaphors, right? Metaphors and similes to help us grasp aspects of God's nature and his character. So a quick English lesson for if you guys are like, ah, I learned about metaphors in middle school, I don't remember anymore. Metaphors when you describe something by saying something is something else. Like I could say, Evan is the bomb. And you know he's not actually about to explode and shoot fire all over, all over everyone. You just know that I mean that Eben is a great person, he's awesome, and I love him. Um, and so when Jesus says that he is God's son, he's communicating something important about how he relates to God the Father. He's communicating something important about his nature, but he's not saying that he's God's son like I am my dad's son, right? Because when my dad met my mom, I was not also with him helping him out, giving him pickup lines and all that kind of stuff, right? That'd be weird. <laughs> but the Bible says that before creation, before the beginning of time, that Jesus was with God. So when it says that Jesus is God's son, it's kind of like a metaphor, right? It's like, well, best thing that we can use to describe it is a son. Um, and so, you know, God loves metaphors. And in the Gospels, when Jesus is on earth and he gets baptized, it says that the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, right? And so the dove has become this metaphor and symbol that Christianity throughout the ages has used to represent the Holy Spirit. But the ancient Celtic Christians, they thought that a dove was too tame of a symbol for the Holy Spirit. Because the experiences of the Holy Spirit that they read in the Bible and the experiences that they had in their life, it was not like a peaceful cooing dove, you know, floating down and being nice and gentle. No, they thought that uh, the Holy, they experienced the Holy Spirit as a wild, surprising, disruptive, untamable goose, right? That he's not someone you could own or domesticate. He's not someone that you could always, like, he, that always did what you expected. Um, the Holy Spirit is too powerful and fierce and wild for that. We don't put the Holy Spirit on a leash to do things for us. Rather, he leads us on a wild goose chase into adventure, into the unknown. And we feel that God has something special in this for us as followers of Jesus, that we are to embrace the wild and untamable God and go on this wild goose chase. Um, 
side note, I've been waiting for this entire sermon series for someone else to use the phrase wild goose chase, and I'm like a little bit disappointed that, it, that I had to be the one to bring it up. <laughs> I feel like the joke is just right there. Anyways, um, and so as we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, this wild goose, our sermons have moved from focusing on who the Spirit is to what the Spirit does. And like you would expect from a wild goose, the Spirit does some surprising, unexpected, and frankly, quite weird things, right? We talk, uh, we off, you'll often hear the term spiritual gifts when we talk about the Spirit and how it moves and what it does. But in our series, we've been purposely staying away from that phrase because we wanted to emphasize the reality that the spiritual gifts are just the things that the Spirit does. So like if you have the Spirit, these are the kinds of things that the Spirit can unleash in your life because that's what the wild goose does. He does unexpected, awesome, powerful things. Um, We talked about things like prophecy and how the Spirit gives that spirit of prophecy and giving messages from God to people. We talked about speaking in other tongues or other languages, these weird prayer languages that people use to connect with God. We talked about um, how the Spirit gives things like healing, wisdom, great faith, words of knowledge, miracles, etc. We worship a living God who is still actively doing these kinds of things in the world today. And we believe that God wants to bring this kind of life and power to heal and mend the brokenness that we encounter on a daily basis. And so today, continuing in that line of thought, we are going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is another metaphor, right? The fruit of the Spirit is not a banana. (laughs) If you guys know that song, that's a a Sunday school song. Uh, So what is the fruit of the Spirit? The phrase comes from Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and... Another disclaimer, I did not send my PowerPoint notes or whatever to the people who needed to do that, so I apologize for that. Um, There's going to be nothing on that board, so you're going to have to just listen. If I say a scripture verse, I'll I'll try to say it slowly and say it again so you can write it down to check and make sure I'm not making stuff up if you want to. Um, So that's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And in that, Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So that's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. So the fruits of the Spirit are these character aspects. They're these virtues, these signs of a transformed life that grow out of closeness and connection with the Spirit, much like a fruit is a sign of life that grows out of connection with the tree. Now, for some of you, talking about the fruit of the Spirit in a sermon series on, like, the wild things the Holy Spirit does might seem like a bit of a letdown. Um, We went from talking... Oops, sorry. I was supposed to set my timer, and I didn't, so you guys are... An extra 10 minutes. You're fine. (laughs) We went from talking about cool, crazy, weird stuff like prophecy and tongues and miracles to talking about, you know, being loving and joy and peace and blah, 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 right? That doesn't seem very wild. Like, where's the adventure? Um, But we're talking about this because the Holy Spirit's main purpose and desire is not just to give us cool superpowers, Right? The Holy Spirit's not just existing to like throw weirdness in your life like, blah, you're a Christian. <laughs> the Holy Spirit mainly wants to bring us into intimacy with Jesus and to glorify Christ 
to display the infinite worth and beauty and majesty of Jesus by transforming us into his likeness. That's where the wild goose is headed. That's where he wants us to be. Yes, he works in these wild and weird and mysterious and wonderful ways, but all of those ways are simply means to his main goal, the goal of us being transformed to be more like Jesus through closeness and relationship with him so that the whole world can enjoy and glorify and experience the presence of God. And that's important for us to realize because even if someone seems very gifted or talented or used by God, that doesn't always mean or reveal what is going on inside of their hearts. It doesn't always reveal character. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, so that's Matthew 7, 21 through 23, uh, Jesus says that many will say to him on that day that, They prophesied. They drove out demons. They performed many miracles in Jesus' name. And Jesus will say, you've got to go away. I never knew you. Like, you never knew me. They had experiences with God, but they didn't have life with God. And it's important for us to recognize that God can use gifted people to be a blessing to others, even when those people aren't really giving themselves to God, right? Because if I saw someone who was like, yeah, I do miracles all the time. I drive out demons all the time. I'd be like, oh, you're a super Christian. Teach me your ways. But if they don't know God, if they don't really have a relationship with him, then they're going to be like even more twisted and messed up and broken than the average person because they're using God for their own ends, right? Um, and it's an unfortunately a common story that I've met people or read about people or heard about people who they were Christians, they loved Jesus, they followed God, but then like, you know, they were, there was some leader or some mentor that like, was exposed that they had some huge flaw. There was a scandal. Or maybe that mentor like, directly hurt them or abused them in some way. And so then the person's just like, I don't want anything to do with this Jesus because that person was messed up. That person who taught me about Jesus is messed up. And on the one hand, I understand how that could, like, shake your faith. But on the other hand, the struggle is hard for me because I'm like, well, but that dude's not Jesus, right? Like, his actions might reflect poorly on Jesus, but that's not really who Jesus is. Like, when you know who Jesus is, when you experience him, when you build your own personal relationship with him, then even when your mentors or your leaders or, your, you know, these public figures fall to pieces, you can say, okay, but that's not how Jesus is, right? Like, if... If, like, my wife, who knows me very well, met one of my friends, and that friend was, like, kicking her in the shins or, like, pushing her over and stuff, and be like, yeah, this is what, G- this is what Jason's like. He told me to do this. She would know that that's not true. I don't kick her in the shins. That's not how I, li- that's not how I live. <laughs> Only when I'm trying to play footsie and I miss. That's, that's a different thing. Um, but anyways... When people, so did God use those people? Yes, that's, that still happened, right? If they spoke the truth, that truth doesn't change. Like people can speak the truth about God without living the truth about God, right? So don't just throw out everything that you've learned and everything that God has done in your life through someone who's flawed because, hate to break it to you, we're all flawed. Like there are things about me, there are things about Eben, there are things about anyone here that if you heard that, you'd be like, whoa, is that Jesus? Then I don't want anything to do with it. Right? Because God doesn't save perfect people, and we're not perfect yet. Right? We're all broken. We all have mess. We all are working through it as the Spirit is working in our lives to bear these fruits, right? To transform us through closeness into His likeness. 
And it's a process. Um, so we read earlier that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. But I also wanted to you know, throw out that that's not an exhaustive list. For instance, humility, honesty, generosity. These are also fruits of the Spirit, right? And we can tell these because these are aspects of the character of God. They're who God is. And that's what the fruits of the Spirit are. The fruits are God's nature growing out of our hearts and being displayed through our lives as we grow in intimacy and closeness with him. So why do we need these, though? Why do we need the fruits of the Spirit, right? Like, why do I need to try to be loving or peaceful or blah, blah, blah? (laughs) Thanks, Sawyer. (laughs) You are on fire today. (laughs) Talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Um, Well, the fruits, they have benefits in and of themselves, right? If you're a loving person, your life is generally going to go better than if you're not a loving person. Um, And the reason why they have benefits in and of themselves is because God designed our hearts, our minds, and our lives to live his way, not our own way. So the more that we follow God's way, the more we, our lives are in sync with the way we're designed, the better we're able to function, the better our lives go, even when everything around us is all messed up. So you can choose to live your life your own way, but it will be kind of like driving a car with a check engine light on, right? It might seem like you can manage, like, oh, okay, I only have to go so far, and then I'll make it. I don't know what that light is. I don't know what that sound is. I don't know why that thing just fell off. You might get to where you're going, but you're going to be, something internally is going to be uneasy, right? It's going to be unsettled, not right. And at some, on some level, you'll know that, like, this is not, something's not clicking here. Something's not gelling here. Um, on the contrary, or no, not on the contrary, before that, in John 15, 6, Jesus says that if you're not bearing the fruits of the Spirit, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. So not bearing these fruits, not having that life of God coming out of you, Instead of life coming out of you, life is getting sucked out of you. It makes you wither. It makes you diminish. It shrinks you down. Um, even on the contrary, when you live God's, life God's way, the way that you've been designed, you can be on a bumpy, pothole-filled, winding, narrow mountain road, but there will still be that internal peace and rightness. Even in terrible circumstances, your soul will be at rest because you will be living the way you were made to live, right? You were designed for a relationship with God, a relationship that fills you so much with his character that it naturally overflows into a transformed life, one that bears these fruits of the Spirit. And so how we get these fruits of the Spirit is where Christianity will differ from other belief systems, right? Because every belief system, whether it's Buddhism or Islam or just your favorite pop psychologist or just trying to be a good person, will tell you, like, yeah, you should be more loving than not loving. You should be patient with people, right? Like, it doesn't matter what you believe. You probably think, like, I probably should not be proud. I probably shouldn't steal. I probably shouldn't kick people in the shins. Um, But the difference is that most other belief systems will tell you that it's on you to make this happen, right? That you've got the power within you if you just try hard enough to make better choices, to be more loving, to have more self-control. You can do it. You just got to squeeze and push through. And when you want to do something else, just make that right choice and power it by your own willpower. The goodness is inside of you. And it's a way that can seem 
deceptively successful, right? Because even though things like love, joy, peace, etc., are fruits of the Spirit of God, you can get a measure of success in developing these without wanting, talking to God at all, without even trying to follow God. Have you ever got something good that you didn't pray for? Have you ever been saved from something bad when you weren't in a good place with God? So why is that? Well, the Bible teaches us that the God's love for the world is so great that we don't, that uh, he is regularly giving us, everyone in the world, the good things that we don't deserve just because that's who he is, just because, that's who, because he loves us so much. You know, we call that common grace. It's the grace that God just showers over everyone and everything. Uh, and in addition to that, God's presence and his goodness fills this whole earth. And people, we are all made in God's image. So all of us, we can find God's fingerprints on our hearts, in our lives, in nature, in art, and all these different things. We can see these reflections of God's goodness. And so it can seem for a while that like, yeah, I can try hard enough. I can do this. But then we have this quote from Jesus. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine. Sorry, John 15, 5 is what this is. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. But we just said that we can do some of these things without Jesus and without remaining in Jesus. So is Jesus delusional? Is he misguided? Is he just wrong? Like, what do we do here? Um, I know people who don't love Jesus that are way more patient than I am or way more humble than I am. Um, a little later in John 15, 16, Jesus clarifies. He says that you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, okay? Fruit that will last. And that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So this shows that Jesus is not just looking for love. He's looking for a specific type of love, a specific different kind of fruit, fruit that will last. And in the book of John, if you read it, you'll know that Jesus is talking all the time about eternity, the coming age, forever. And so when Jesus says fruit that will last, he doesn't mean that, you know, I used to be able to be patient for five minutes, but now I can be patient for ten minutes. No, he's talking about the kind of patience that works its way so into my character that it's going to last me all the way into eternity. That's the kind of fruit that Jesus wants us to bear. Um, And in addition, the fruit that Jesus is seeking is the kind of fruit that allows his followers to pray in Jesus' name. Now, in Jesus' name is a kind of shorthand for Jesus' character, his nature, his power and authority. I'm the second oldest of five kids. And when I was younger, there were times when I would give my siblings a command in my parents' name. I would say, in the name of mom and dad, come to dinner. And they would know that, okay, it's time for me to turn off the video games and go to dinner because Jason is coming in the character and the power and the authority of mom and dad. But if I walked in, slapped in the head, and said, give me, mom and dad said, give me the remote. They'd be like, none of that sounds like mom and dad. None of that is in their character. That has none of their authority. And now you're in a headlock. (laughs) Um, And so they would know the difference 
because they know the kind of nature that comes from spending time with my parents. And they know the kind of nature that comes from being sent to carry out their wishes. And so, in the same way, the lasting fruit of the Spirit that Jesus is looking for is the kind of fruit that grows out of our hearts from being close to him, from being transformed through that intimacy into being more like Jesus. So there's a foundational, fundamental difference between the good fruit that we seem to bear by ourselves and the fruit that comes from Jesus. So now we understand what Jesus was meaning, so let's reiterate how do we get these different fruit of the Spirit? The fruit that may look the same as other good people, but is different on the inside because it lasts. So looking back at John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we need to notice that word, if a, man, if a person remains in me, he will bear much fruit. I like that word remain because it means stay, right? It means that you are already in a place. If I say remain in your seats, that means just don't give up, get up. You don't have to do anything else. Just stay where you are. Remain in your seats. And so when Jesus says remain in me, he's communicating that he has already brought us into himself. Before we had done anything good, while we were still sinners, while we were still offensive to Jesus, dismissive of Jesus, um, because we ignored him, rejected him, or flat out opposed him, Jesus came down from heaven. He died for us. He came back to life to break down the wall of our sin that we ourselves had put up. And he came to bring us into himself. He loved you so much that he literally crossed space and time. He literally crossed death itself in order to be with you. And this closeness to Jesus is the driving force of our lives. It's the motivation for why we do what we do, but it's also the power and how we can do what we do. Um, because we are already loved and accepted, we can love others without needing anything in return. Because we already know that Jesus has been patient with us and has forgiven us our sins. We can be patient and forgiving to other people even when they sin against us. And even though all this can seem difficult or even impossible at times, we know that we don't have to do this ourselves. We have the help of the Holy Spirit who has the power to do the impossible. Because you see, the message of the other philosophies in faith is that you have the power to be a good enough person if you just try hard enough. And that belief is going to hurt you in at least one of two ways. So either you're going to be constantly anxious, constantly wondering, am I good enough? Uh, either, or you're going to be filled with shame and despair if you're like, I'm not good enough. I, did, I should have done this. I should have done that better. I'm not doing this enough. I'm just a bad person. And then you're just going to try to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and try harder. Or on the flip side, you'll think, I am good enough. I'm better than that person, and I'm definitely better than that person. And so this kind of feeling like you are achieving it on your own strength uh, is the kind of thing that leads you to pride, the kind of pride that chokes out your life, the kind of pride that makes you judgmental of others, that makes you harsh towards others. It makes you impatient towards other people because you're like, if I can get my act together, then why can't you get your act together? Um. But in Christianity, 
through Jesus, we're, it, takes, it cuts down both of these things, right? Because Christianity tells you that God sees you to the very depth of your core. And what he saw was so ugly and hideous and awful that he literally had to die to get rid of it. That was the only way to wash it clean. But in the same token, when he looked into the depths of your core, what he saw was so beautiful and valuable and precious that he's like, I have to die. I got to get these people. I got to be in relationship with, with you. As Pastor Tim Keller puts it, and I love the way he says this, he says that in Christ, you are more wicked than you ever dared to believe, but you're simultaneously more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared to hope. So rather than trying to be good to win God's favor, like you'll hear someone saying like, oh, you know, God doesn't like me because uh, I'm not a good enough person or I do this or I smoke or I cuss or I whatever. Um, it, but instead of that mindset of thinking like, oh, I've got to be good enough so that God loves me, these fruits of the Spirit come when you realize God has already loves you, that God has already given his life for you, that he's already given you favor. And they come as you remain in that relationship. Like, not get to me, Jesus didn't say, get to me and you'll bear these fruits. He says, remain in me. I've already brought you here. Just don't walk away. Just stay right here. And these fruits are going to come out of your life as you grow in intimacy with me. You'll be transformed by being close. Um, Galatians 5.25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we already live by the Spirit. The Spirit is already inside of us giving us life. So because that's happening, let's just keep in step with the Spirit. And so to keep in step with the Spirit, to keep in step means to go where he's going, to join in what he's doing. It reminds me of my mom. Because my mom is a bustler. She always is moving around the house. She's always going upstairs and tidying this, walking to the next room, straightening out that, going down and ironing, going to the kitchen and cooking. She's always on the move. And so if I wanted to talk to her growing up, that meant that I had to be on the move too. Mom's not going to sit down on the couch and talk to me and let me pour out my heart to her. I'll walk up to the laundry room where she is, and I'll be like, you know, we'll start talking, and then she'll move over here, and I'll just follow her and keep talking, and then maybe I'll help her, like, you know, fold some clothes, or she's, like, taking out the trash. I'll take the trash out with her, or she's raking the leaves, so I'll hold the bucket for her while she dumps the leaves in. And so the whole way, the whole time, to be in relationship with my mom meant to be active with my mom. It meant participating with her in what she's doing because she's always on the move. And the spirit is also always active and always on the move. He's constantly working in people's lives and writing stories of life, of love, of redemption. He's a wild goose, right? His purposes are beyond your needs, but they also include your needs. He's moving in your life, not just to bring goodness and fix situations. He wants to fix your brokenness as well. And that means if you want to remain in, in him, if you want to remain in Jesus, if you want to keep in step with the Spirit, you're not going to be spiritually stationary. Being a follower of Jesus is not merely about, you know, getting the good ooey-gooey feelings of being loved and accepted. We're called followers of Jesus because our Savior is on the move. He has placed you where you are in life because he wants to bring his life-giving, life-changing presence into your broken places to bring healing and to change you into your true self. And not only that, 
He's placed you where you are in life because you have the potential to carry his life-giving, life-changing presence of God into the situations that you face, into the relationships that you have, into the people that you work with. Um, And so that gives us hope because that means whenever we walk into a room, whenever we face a situation, we can expect that God is already moving, that God is already doing something to work whatever mess we see towards good, towards a greater experience of him, towards a greater experience of his life-changing, life-giving presence. So when you're struggling to be patient with your children or your loved one or someone at work, you can walk in with new eyes and asking, okay, God, what are you doing here? (laughs) What are you doing in me? What are you doing in this person's life? How are you using this to bring about your good, to bring about an experience of you? Um, What is your purpose for me here? How can I join in with you? That's what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. It means to constantly tune the ears of your heart into what God is saying. It means to depend on him instead of trying to do it on your own strength and think, okay, let me, I can do this if I just, I need to be more loving, I need to be more kind. Um, Because even though I described that as the world system, like the diff- not God system, right? The idea that goodness is inside of us and if we try hard enough, we can make it. That does not mean it's exclusive to people outside of the church. Like, as a Christian, this is something that I constantly have to battle against, that we ha- constantly have to think about. Am I following the gospel where I believe that Jesus is the one who saves me, that Jesus is the one who brings the goodness from me? Or am I moving into my own self and being like, okay, I got this. I got this. I can be a good enough person. Why can't you get your act together? I've got my act together. You know, I can fall into the pride side. Or I could also fall into the side where I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have done this. I should know better. Stupid, stupid me. Oh, woe is me. I'm a terrible person. Don't even look at me. We can, as Christians, Satan is always trying to pull us into one of those two extremes. And so we've got to remain in Jesus. This is what he meant by remain in me because he knows that the world and Satan and our own flesh are going to be trying to pull us back into doing things on our own. Um, And so, so keeping in step with the Spirit means keeping that mindset, keeping your eyes focused on, Jesus, you're the one. I want to stay close to you. I just want to, to know you more, to experience you more. And then you're, you trust that the Spirit is going to bring out those fruits in your life. And when you mess up, you can trust that Jesus has got me covered. The blood of Jesus that he, that he shed for me has got me covered. Yes, I've got a mess, but he's going to bring that fruit out of my life. And when you do good, you can think, yeah, man, that was awesome. God used me. God did this in me. Man, I am loving now, but I know that this comes from spending time with Jesus. I know this com- that this is coming from his spirit inside of me. Um, and so I wanted to give a couple of practicals before we uh, close here, just on what does it look like? You know, saying you remain in Jesus and talking about your mindset, that's good, right? It's like, okay. I can do that. I can focus my mind. But I don't want that to become another trap of like, ooh, I forgot to think about Jesus today. I'm messing up. So I wanted to give also some other practicals that kind of help us in this practice of remaining in Jesus, depending on the Spirit and all that. Um, Because the fruits of the Spirit grow out of our lives as we grow in closeness and intimacy with Jesus. So the fruits are not the goal. 
Intimacy with Jesus is the goal. Um, and so the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you remain in him, the more you seek to join in on what the Spirit is doing, these fruits grow out of your life. We don't pursue kindness, we pursue Jesus. We remain in Jesus by, one of the ways that we remain in Jesus is by meditating on the Bible. Because the Bible is his living word. It's what he's given us to explain his character, his values, his natures. And he shines a, a big spotlight on them so that we can clearly see who Jesus is like and what Jesus is like. So that when our mentors fail, when people fail, when someone says, oh, that Jesus is like this, we can say, ah, that doesn't sound like how Jesus is, how I've experienced Jesus in the Bible. That doesn't sound like the way that Jesus has described himself. I know Jesus. That's not Jesus. Um, Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And then the blessing part comes, comes here, and listen to this. He says, He is like a tree planted by the streams, which bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So when we meditate on the scriptures, when we meditate on what God says, and med- meditation in the Christian word uh, phrase is not like, oh, I'm clearing my mind. But meditating is this like ruminating, this constantly thinking, like fixing your mind, spending time and soaking on what God has said. Because I can read the Bible, I can read the whole Bible cover to cover, you know, in maybe like a week or so, and then walk away unchanged. It's as I hold the Bible in my heart, it's as I hold it in my mind, it's as I think about it, that's how the Spirit gets inside, like really does his work inside of me, because I'm meditating on him, I'm filling myself with him. Um, we also remain in Jesus through prayer, because no relationship can deepen, can continue without communication, right? And prayer is how we communicate with God. Um, Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. God is seeking people to dump their hearts on him. He wants that relationship. He wants everything you've got. Uh, Seeking to join in what the Spirit is doing happens in the context of a relationship where you're regularly communicating with him and expecting him to communicate back to you for that leading and that guidance. And then uh, when we spend time in fellowship and communion with the Spirit through prayer, we build a closer relationship with Jesus. The closer the intimacy with Jesus, the more we are transformed to be like him, bearing the fruit that show his goodness to the world. As 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And it's important to notice in this passage how it says, We all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. Because another way that we remain in Jesus and keep in step with the Spirit is through community, the church, the body of Christ. Ephesians 2.22 says, And in him, Jesus, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. There's no such thing as a John Rambo, Lone Ranger Christianity, right? Like when people say, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. God's like, I don't know what you're talking about then. Because he designed us to be in community right? He, he designed us with a need. He designed each of us with specific lacks that we can only f- 
fulfill when we are in community with other people, with other Christians seeking God. And Matthew 18, 20 says, Jesus says, where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. So we experience Jesus' presence in a special way when the body of Christ, when the Christians, when when people come together as a family, as a body, to follow Jesus together. Um, And then lastly, for right now, another way that we uh, remain in Jesus and follow the Spirit is through the work of simply obeying what Jesus has said. John 15, 10, and 11, Jesus says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, I want, I want to clarify because I don't want you to hear what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying that if you don't obey my commands, you, I'm going to push you out of my love. That's not what he means. Um, and we know this because he already loved us before we ever kept the single command, right? And in spite of the fact that he knew that we would continue to need forgiveness for continuing to break his commands even after he's put his own spirit inside of us, um, he still died for us. He still loved us. He still chose us. But what Jesus is saying is that our experience of his love increases the more that we line our life up with his, the more that we follow his ways and not ours. The fruits of the Spirit don't always feel like the easy choice, the natural choice. Oftentimes, our flesh, which is the old desires that we had before being transformed by the Spirit, they seem to shout loudly like, oh, do things your own way. You can do this on your own strength. That person cuts you off in traffic. Flip them off. Um, but Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do just whatever you want. So even though we are relying on the Spirit's power, even though we know that it's not our efforts and our goodness that save us, um, And even though we know that the fruits of the Spirit grow not from our own strength, but from intimacy with the Spirit, that doesn't mean that it's an automatic thing. That doesn't mean that I'm never going to feel like I have to make a hard choice, right? Because that is sometimes one of the ways that God uses to help grow that fruit of the Spirit, is when we listen to Him, when we're staying in connection with Him, and God tells us like, hey, I know that you're right, but you need to humble yourself and pretend like you're wrong for the sake of this relationship. That's how you're going to love this person right now. Um, And so the more that we do that, the more that we follow and just make those hard choices to obey, and we make those hard choices while depending on the Spirit, saying, God, I don't want to, but you can help me do this, so help me do this. So the more we lean on Jesus, the more we depend on him, the more we experience that remaining in his love, like, oh, okay, I'm not going to, fall into the trap of condemning myself because I know that I'm trying my best to live the way that Jesus lives, and I know that he's covering my sins. Um, and so there are different responses that you might have to, this, uh, to all the stuff that we've been saying. 
You might think, oh, this all sounds well and good to be in this relationship with Jesus, growing in intimacy and closeness, having my heart set right, getting all those storms that are in my heart uh, fixed and healed and everything. But uh, I have no relationship with Jesus. Um, Maybe you've never been interested before. Maybe you were interested at one point, but you got turned off by something, and so you haven't um, been trying to be with Jesus for a while. Maybe it's from hurt and pain. Um, Or maybe you do want Jesus, but you think Jesus would never want me. I've seen what I've done. He knows what I've done. I'm not a good enough person. Um, Well, to all of those things, I can tell you emphatically that Jesus is here. And he loves you so much that he is not merely inviting you. He is begging you uh, to let him love you. He came and he died for you, for you specifically. And his heart is only ever for your good, not your pain. So don't let anything get in the way and distract you from the reality that the only one who knows your whole soul has loved you so much that he gave up everything to be with you, for just for the chance to be with you forever. And it just starts with a simple prayer, with accepting Jesus as your, as your Lord and accepting his sacrifice as your sin, and then beginning to, to do this, beginning to live life with him, following him his way and not yours. And if that's you, if you're thinking like, man, that is resonating in my heart, there are anyone here, there are plenty of people here that will pray with you, talk with you, answer your questions, that kind of stuff. Um, another response that you might have is that you might be struggling or confused in a situation, a specific situation that you're in, because you're like, God, he's talking about you, know, you do, being active, and I don't see how you could possibly be active in this situation. This is too hard. This is too confusing. This is too struggle. I'm struggling too much. And so maybe you need prayer to help open your eyes, help God see, or have God help you see what he's doing, help you get to that place where your insides are at peace because you know and trust that God is at work even in this. Um, and so I'm going to invite Sarah up here because we're going to have some resp- uh, time of response, and she's going to lead us in that.